Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Once again, to Kingdom Cast's podcast, the podcast that is not only maskless, but completely nude during recording. What? <laughs> Joining us once again is Sandra Seafoam Swindle. Oh, and for those of you keeping track, this is day 1734 of production on the Justice League movie. God. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard the latest on the Snyder Cut? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> At first, this young woman on Twitter, what do we call people that use Twitter? Twits? I don't know people that are, are Twitter users. <laughs> <laughs> this young woman on Twitter who, who's right about, I don't know, 40% of the time. She's as wrong as she is right, but she's popular and she's got a following, right? She tweeted out a few days ago that... Not only is the Zack Snyder Justice League going to be rated R, it's going to have a sex scene between two of the superheroes in it. On our last recording, I just kind of ignored it because sure it is. But on this recording, yeah, it looks like it actually is. Well, the rated R thing is not new. Well, I know he was trying to go for a rated R thing, but now it's pretty much confirmed that they're going to rate it R and there's going to be a sex scene in it. Where did you get sex scene from? Well, that's what I just said. This young woman that reports things on Twitter, she reported it and now it actually looks like it's a real thing. I don't know about that. I heard it was getting an adult rating, but I thought that meant R. Yeah, he wanted an R. He's been saying an R in between releasing bits of it in black and white. So he's got his R. Now, I don't know how much of that R has to do with the supposed sex scene that they've got. That's just people making stuff up, hoping it's real so they can get attention. That, that's all that is. Well, I'm going to go into the details. The details on it is that the sex scene in Justice League Snyder Cut will take place in one of the flash forward scenes into the future, into the apocalyptic future or whatever. And there's no details right now on which two characters it is. I just really can't summon any. I can't either. Uh, yeah. I just don't give a damn anymore. <laughs> yeah. I just really don't care. I mean, I haven't even watched the non-Snyder Cut movie, so I guess this is all a moot point to me. You're not missing anything. Well, see, that's what I thought. I well, just saved myself, what, two plus hours? I feel like I should be pissed off. I feel like I should be pissed at Warner Brothers for bastardizing the characters, but I mean, every week. Every single week. And not the Snyder Cut, although we hear the Snyder Cut every other week, but it's just some new low that nobody is even asking them to attain. So I'm played out on it, too. I'm sure we will get plenty of material when they finally start airing the 28-hour epic that is the Snyder Cut Justice League on HBO Max. But right now, I, I just don't. They've numbed me to it. Oh, Superman in bondage gear, whatever. <laughs> Batman's not Batman, and you're not supposed to like Bruce Wayne anymore. Okay, 
we've killed crypto. All right, you've killed crypto. <laughs> the four-hour director cut? This is going to be four hours? I think it's supposed to be more than four hours now. It's supposed uh, to be divided into episodes. It's just- it says it's been elevated to an R rating for violence and language. It doesn't say anything about a sex scene. Oh, but some person on Twitter said so. Okay. Once again, what I'm saying is this person on Twitter reported it, and now multiple outlets are reporting it. Yeah, but those multiple outlets report everything. Oh, is this like we got it covered and click click us? How many many times have these sites reported on Batman? Like every actor in Hollywood has been cast at Batman over the last six months. All those sites have ran that same story with different with all the different actors, and none of it's been true yet. Okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What you're talking about is Affleck is back in Justice League for Batman, which is confirmed. Michael Keaton has been as confirmed as he can be for the Flash movie, which we've got news about coming up in just a moment. And that Twilight, Twilight, Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson is the star of the new Batman movie, which is completely separate from any other Batman movie that's out there. Yeah, but all these sites, they just run whatever. Okay, now I haven't seen anything other than those reports for Batman. I've been cast as Batman. Oh, have you? Yeah, Nick Saban's been cast as Batman. <laughs> I, I'm not running that on our side. <laughs> oh, well, and while we're I on think the subject, you, should, you know, Albert, he was cast as Lex Luthor first. <laughs> I used to be looking forward to seeing what sort of calamity the Justice League Snyder Cut was going to be. Now I'm not even looking forward to it. Four hours. That's insane. I thought it was going to be even longer than that. They divided well, it mean, into episodes. It, it might be more than that. I'm just looking at that article about what it was rated R for, and it said something about four hours. I don't know if that means it's actually going to be four hours or what. I swear to you, I read somewhere that it was going to be longer. They've divided it into episodes. Well, it could be. The last thing I heard was four hours. And not divided into episodes? At one point, that was the idea, but I think it's just one big thing. I don't care. I'm just saying, I remember at one time they were going to divide it into episodes like the Marvel Studios format on Disney+. Plus. That's not and Marvel's I, format. They didn't invent that format. I'm just saying like the Marvel format on Disney+. Might as well Plus. say the Netflix format. I'm still going to go say with like the Marvel format uh-huh. on Disney+, Plus because that's who they're constantly trying to mimic and failing. They need to leave that alone. They need to go make their own movies. I have hope for the Daniel, not Daniel Radcliffe. What's his name? Pattinson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have hope for the Pattinson Batman, but not a lot. I feel really tired of it after Wonder Woman 84. I keep forgetting that Shazam was a thing. So whenever I sit and watch Shazam, I feel good about it for about two or three hours afterward. Yeah, but Wonder Woman's no different than any other superhero movie. They're all the same. We're just, not we everybody's were just looking so- at it like, you see, that's your that's your point of view. You keep that saying that, and I've already told you repeatedly. Outsiders who are not diehard fans, like, say, my wife, that's not how it comes across to them. They enjoy the Marvel movies, but didn't enjoy Wonder Woman 84. By the way, I'm sure the Snyder Cut would be so horrible, it'll, it'll make people rip their eyes out and, and speak Latin or something. I don't know. You think <laughs> speak <it's> Latin? <laughs> that's do you think his supporters are still going to be uh, raving about it, though? Oh, All yes. All these people that, that demanded at some the point Snyder in time, Cut? At, at some point in time, you get a point of no return down the rabbit hole. 
And you're just Cinderella at that point. Is it Snyder fans or DC fans? I think it's Snyder, Snyder fans. fans. I don't think it's, it's no, DC. No, the Snyder thing's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Did you see the preview to Justice Society America, World War II? It looks good. It did. I don't know why they're involving the modern Flash in it, but yeah, it looks really good. What is that? A new uh, animated animated. Yeah. yeah, it's animated and it looks really, really good. I'm somewhat less excited for the Justice League Snyder cut. Let's get on with something else. While we're on the subject of Justice League and Snyder Cut, we had more Ray Fisher news about Ray Fisher versus Warner Brothers, the battle that short-circuited Cyborg, according to Vanity Fair. What's come out now is that we still don't know exactly what he's claiming Whedon did against him, other than to say that Whedon engaged in, quote, gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable, end quote, treatment of the cast and crew when he took over the film for reshoots after the departure of Zack Snyder. And then he cited Jeff Johns and John Berg as enablers. Warner Brothers hired an outside counsel. We remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Warner Brothers had hired an outside counsel to go in and investigate Fisher's claim. Fisher would randomly post different criticisms over Twitter about how it was progressing. And at one time, Fisher was like, oh, okay, well, the outside investigation came in. And we've got results, and I appreciate Warner Brothers working with me, and I appreciate the fans, and so on. So then he had said in September that he that Fisher had said that quote I plan getting much more specific about each of these guys after the investigation is over. This interview is just the abridged version, and that's a direct quote from Fisher to the media. After the thing was over, Warner Brothers said that they had looked at it. The outside counsel had presented things to them. They took remedial action, which nobody knows what that means because nobody knows what anybody was being accused of to begin with. Then they said they welcome Fisher back to the role of Cyborg in the Flash movie. They will not be terminating their relationship with Jeff Johns. Now, that was the first news I'd actually heard of that. Anything coming up higher on the Warner Brothers ladder about, no, Jeff Johns' relationship with Warner Brothers Studios is not going to be terminated. Now, Albert, you had speculated on that being the case. Yeah, I mean, if they were going to get rid of him, they would have got rid of him a while back. That's not going to be the case. But then on December 27th, Ray Fisher came out, called Walter Hamada, the head of the DC film production, DC studio production, the most dangerous kind of enabler, stated that he will not participate in any production associated with him. The big news is on last Wednesday, Ray Fisher released a two-page statement. The first line is the only important line in it. I've received official confirmations that Warner Brothers has decided to remove me from the cast of The Flash. Warner Brothers had gone on to say, quote, Last summer, Mr. Fisher was offered the opportunity to reprise his role as Cyborg in The Flash. Given the statement that he will not participate in any film associated with Mr. Hamada, our production is now moving on, end quote. Ray Fisher is out, has Cyborg, and we still don't know what the hell the accusations were. Probably nothing much of anything. Well, I don't know. Shooting your entire career in the face. There's got to be something going on. I don't know what the heck is going on, though. Warner Brothers goes on to state, quote, as has been previously stated, an extensive investigation was conducted by an outside law firm led by a former federal judge who has assured Warner Media that there were no impediments to the investigation. Warner Brothers remained 
remains in business with Jeff Johns, who continues to produce Stargirl, Batwoman, Doom Patrol, Superman and Lois, and Titans for the studio, among other projects. He's producing all of that? Yeah, he's, he's listed as... Just producing Stargirl. He's listed his producer slash executive producer on a lot of stuff. He got what executive producer on Wonder Woman 84, didn't he? He had like several things on that because he was that. He was a co-writer. Yeah. Then there's a series of people coming forward, like Ann Sarnoff, who is CEO of Warner Media Studios, saying that in no way did Walter Hamada or anybody else interfere with the investigation. And all of this is in a Vanity Fair article. I don't know what the point to this was. They even offered an olive branch, saying, look, no harm, no foul. You can continue forward. And like you said, Sandra, he just shot himself in the, what did you say, foot or face? The face. In the face with that, yeah. I mean, it's not like he's Harrison Ford to go demands of people. Uh, Well, we speculated before that is it because he felt Joss Whedon was cutting Cyborg out of the plot or not using Cyborg as much as he felt he would? Because if so, that's not. That's the director's purview there. That's the director's job is to make cuts. I have no idea what's going on. There's obviously something going on with Josh Whedon because he fell out with that other show he was doing. Well, he had other accusations put against him. I'm not saying that this guy doesn't have valid complaints. I'm just saying that the way he's gone about it, it just hasn't now would be the time to let out the things that he threatened to let out, wouldn't you think? Well, there well, may I, not be anything there. I mean, in reality, I, it could be as simple as Josh Whedon was tasked of taking over that movie, and he had a very short amount of time to finish a movie that was chopped up and edited to him. That was $200 million worth of movie he had to finish. On the set, it was probably just a lot of shoot this, do this, do that. I don't care. Get this done. That Maybe that's what it was. Well, that's what a director does. Is there a fundamental feeling here about... Well, well, yeah, role as an actor wait, versus yeah, role of his director. Yeah, but a director can do it in a non-abusive manner, and he can do it in an abusive manner. I guess what I'm saying is it's hard to have an opinion on this when all you're getting is these vague, vague comments from everybody. I'm not for anybody getting abused, but it's very hard to understand what's going on when everything is so vague. If he had complaints, it would have been far better if he just if he had just Rather come than- out and said. What was going on rather than all this vague stuff? It's just basically one person's reputation versus another. I don't know anything about Ray Fisher. I don't really know a lot about Josh Whedon. I just think that Ray Fisher would have been better off if he had come out and said, this was done to me, this was done to me, this was done to me, and then let's go from there. I don't think saying these vague statements have helped him in the least. He should have the ability to stand up and say, okay, here's what we're talking about. Whedon was abusive to them. Does that involve him yelling at him? I don't know. Albert, Sandra, is reshooting the exact same scene without breaks, literally over 70 times in a row without breaking over the course of an entire 24 hours for one actor, a director putting one actor through that. Is that abusive? 70 times? Over 70 times. I mean, that's what Kubrick used to do. Bingo. Kubert and what particular actor? Oh, what's her face from Shining? Not her face, his face. Scatman. Scatman Crothers. Hey, I'm sure he did that more than just oh, that he, movie. He physically had studio guards or bodyguards or you know hired security. He physically had hired security make sure that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman did not contact or come in contact with each other while they were filming Eyes Wide Shut. Also, is this abusive behavior? Depends yeah. on if well it I depends. I think so. 
I think if filming something 75 times without breaking to tell them what your what the issue is, yeah, that could be pretty abusive, especially 70 times. My God. The way the story goes on The Shining is Scatman Crothers just threw whatever he was holding down, the prop he was holding down, and said, Mr. Kubrick, what in the f*** do you want from me? Kubrick said, now. And they shot it, and that was the actual clip they used. Well, yeah, I think that's abusive. <laughs> it depends on if you knew what you're signing up for. That's true. Okay, that's the extent of it. Do you think this is some of the behavior that might have Ray Fisher upset? Something that didn't even cross necessarily Whedon's mind or wouldn't cross another director's mind. They just had to get in and get out and do something. All I'm saying is Ray Fisher is not at a point in his career where he can he can do this kind of stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't speak out if you feel like you've been abused. But oh, definitely you can't speak, speak out. out. You can't speak out the way he did. Which is most actors a are, comment. Most actors, regardless of where they're at in their career, usually aren't going to do that publicly. Let's say if an actor that's a a worldwide celebrity had a problem with a director, more than likely, once they're done with that movie, you just won't hear about that director anymore, and that's that. Yeah. It won't be a public thing. It's just you just don't ever hear anything about it, and that's the end of that. That's a very close knit community in Hollywood. That's what kept Weinstein safe. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they're all a bunch of assholes. That's what kept Weinstein safe. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Was everyone going to start pointing fingers at each other? Like that scene from The Office where they they all got guns on one another with their fingers? (laughs) Like, it would just be that with everyone in Hollywood. Like, who's going to shoot who first? Well, we actually almost got through an entire conversation without Albert saying the word. Well, I mean, you kept you just kept on about this Whedon thing for 30 minutes. Apparently, Heroes Reborn is going to have spinoffs. Why wouldn't it? We were hoping. I was about to say, because it's a stupid ideal. That's never stopped them from making a comic book or anything out of. Yeah, there's a couple issues. Uh, the Fantastic Four life story and Joella Jones' Wonder Girl with Yara Floor. Oh, God, I don't know even what happened with this. The Joe Bennett on Immortal Hulk 43 anti-Semitic error. What the hell was the anti-Semitic error? Is that the comic that came out this week? I think Yes, so. there's a uh, thing where Joe Fixit's trying to sell some jewelry, or no, he's trying to buy, he's buying some jewelry. Yeah. And then the window behind him. Jewelry, the letter is missing, so it's, it looks like jewelry. And there's a and Star some, of David underneath yeah, it. Yeah, and for some reason there's a Star of David underneath it. Well, this is it was supposed to be it was supposed to be a Cronenberg reference. Now wait a minute. It says Cronenberg. You no, can't he see the e- Cronenberg and he misspelled Cronen- jewelry. <laughs> jewelry. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> exactly. Well his response is like, I misspelled it and really screwed up. I'm sorry. That's that's his response. Ooh. I don't understand why the Star of David's in the window. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I was already getting ready to say, well, whatever it is, it can't be as bad as Kitty Pride and that artist just blatantly labeling her as a Jew. The one where the guy got blacklisted? Yeah. Where it was a whole issue of stuff hidden in the art? Yeah. In reality, this could be a legit mess up. Yeah, because he misspelled Cronenberg, too. I can actually see leaving out the letter in something you're doing with art. I mean, I've done that before, and it's maddening. Yeah, but I don't know about the Star David. Well, the Star David thing's <laughs> deliberate one way or another. So. Yeah, there you, that's not a misspelling there. <laughs> 
Yeah, okay, so we're going to go ahead and say that it's not as bad as what they did to Kitty Pride, what that artist did to Kitty Pride in X-Men way back when. Well, it wasn't just the Kitty Pride thing. It was a whole lot of other stuff, too. He was putting stuff in different languages. Yeah, he thought he was clever. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I completely missed that. Aftershock Comics. Maniac of New York, number one. Writer Elliot Kalin. Art by Andrea Muddy. This was one of my risks where I didn't know exactly what was drawing me to it in the blurb, but I'm more aware now. I felt that this comic did smart commentary in a dynamic way so far as the comic is concerned on everyday situations. The fact that they have this murderer that's just running around with a machete killing people and that the police just accept there's nothing to do about it. They've got their little task force for show and they laugh at the person that heads up the task force because, yeah, you, know, you just can't stop this individual from killing. You can't kill this individual. We haven't been able to stop him in years. We just have to accept that this is what he does and go forward with it. They're turning a blind eye to him. The analogy here is the blind eye that gets turned to situations every day, like abuse, spousal abuse, or you know, certain individuals doing certain things and nobody reporting it because it's just the way things are. I thought it was very smartly handled. I thought it was well-written. The impetus is over the top. It's basically Jason from Friday the 13th, except he's able to walk down the street. And nobody can do a damn thing about it. Yeah, the, the kill count's a little ridiculous. It started in 2016, according to this comic. Yeah, but then they say he killed like... Dozens of people in one instance. At the end of the book, he was just going to kill all those people in the train. Like I don't, I don't know. It seems a little over the top. Well, the premise is over the top. You're using absurdity to illustrate the absurd, and the absurd that they're illustrating here is what we don't pay attention to in our daily lives, or what we let officials get away with, what we've come to accept within our own society. I, I think there is a smart underlying story here. They're trying to play it out through high-end fiction. Well, I'm going to give it one more issue. Yeah, I'm definitely going to give it one more issue. I'm just saying it's interesting enough to pick up the first yeah. and give it a read through. The art fits the story. The art's nothing over the top. I still don't like the washed-out coloration that a lot of these books use, and this falls back on the washed-out coloration because they think it's creating atmosphere, but all it's doing is bland to me. But the art is fine for what this book is. So yeah, take take a look at Maniac of New York. It's not going to be for everybody, but I also think isn't aren't aftershock comics a little cheaper than normal comics? I thought I think that may have been them. I'm not too sure on that. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's worth taking a look at. Oh, and at the very back of it, it's got a map of major known instances. His kill ratio for New Year's Eve in 2016, when he first showed up, was 85 dead and 33 wounded. And he's never reached that level again. The most he comes up on is like there's on Christmas Day in 2017, 21 dead, 4 wounded. Then on December 3rd, 2018, 23 dead for some reason. And then the rest of them are just like anywhere from 1 to 12. You look at it over time, given that it runs all the way through 2020 from 2016, it's not too far of a reach if you've got a killer that you can't kill that bullets don't affect. Yeah. To me, that's somewhat reasonable. The last page reads, there are 221 people on this train. Most won't make it home tonight. Well, that's a literary assumption. That's a story device to get you to pick up the next issue. We don't know that he's going to successfully kill 221 people. 
I think the first issue is worth a look at, and it's definitely got me hooked for the second issue. I, I gave it threes across the board. I gave the writing an R to three, but I gave Dynamic a two. IDW Comics. Sea of Sorrows, number three. Writer Rich Doick and art by Alex Cormack. You know it's going to be a solid comment when it elicits a certain feel from you. Dark Knight had a feel. 300 had a feel. Claremont and Burns X-Men had a feel. And you know so did Hellboy. And this book really does emanate a feeling of claustrophobia and entrapment. And I think that matches the story perfectly in this. I'm sorry. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, sea of Sorrow. Sea of, sea of Sorrows, of Sorrows okay. number three. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And But once again, I think the underwater scenes are the best. I was a little confused in some of the other things, but maybe that's because I, I was like reading very quickly. The art on the underwater scenes is very atmospheric and very claustrophobic. Albert. I liked it. Yeah, it's a solid book. I enjoy it. It's tense. Doic moves the mystery along. Yeah. The characters are solid enough. It's a period piece book set in World War One, and it's meant for readers that are looking for something different and, and darker than is not standard comic book fare currently. I, I can't think of anything else in this vein having been offered in a long while. I'm sure there's stuff out there, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Well, that's it, too. I had the exact same thought. There's got to be other things out there, but I can't recall it at the moment. I can't. None of them are popping into my head. This is a solid book. I think it's worth your money. I gave the writing a four, the art a four, and I gave the dynamic a five. My score on Sea of Sorrows, number three, is 4.3. I gave the writing a four and the art and dynamic a three. I gave the writing a three, the art a four, and the dynamic a three. Okay, so you went low on the writing. Why did you go low on the writing? Well, because I was a little confused about things. I probably need to go back and read the other two issues also. I had to look over the one and two to remember where we were with it. Yeah. I remembered certain scenes. Certain little things were escaping me. This is a fairly solid book. I do think it's worth your money. Again, it's one of these ones that's not out there for everybody, but I don't want you to overlook it either because they're doing a good job with it. It's not like a superhero book. It's not like a humorous book. It's not really a noir book. It's creepy ocean horror. Cthulhu yeah. hasn't showed up in this, but I mean, and I don't really expect him to. I think this is going to be something to do with, dare I say it, the mermaids. <laughs> All about mermaids. Isn't yeah, it? it's not Spy Island, okay? <laughs> but uh, it's more psychological. I would recommend it if that's your cup of tea. Also from IDW Comics. Snake Eyes, Dead Game, number four, by Rob Liefeld did everything, and you're an envious liar if you say otherwise. You know, I don't even know if the actual plot of this book is anymore. Does it matter? It doesn't matter, Albert. This book was not meant for mere mortal eyes like you and I. We should just be grateful for the privilege that, that we're even allowed to run our eyeballs over it. It's not that Liefeld is a bad artist. It's that Liefeld's art transcends mere mortal understanding, and that's why it looks awful to us. We don't have the brain capacity nor the ability to comprehend what we are seeing, and our feeble minds burn themselves out trying to make sense of it all. And I wouldn't go that far with it. <laughs> Having said that, what the hell is going on with that head on the second panel on page one? <laughs> 
how it looks sort of upside down. Like the whole body looks upside down. Like when you look at that panel, <laughs> it's the dude with the rap face that it looks like he's yeah. it. Even I can't get any action figure to do that. <laughs> Is that his back? No, that's not his it's, back. That can't be his no. back. Yes, it's supposed to be his back. Okay, that's that's it's the back, to- and that's his head. T- yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Okay, but that pales in comparison to when that one guy later on that one guy's shoulder joint is actually part of his pec muscle. Yeah, the chest doesn't end; it just melds into the shoulder joint. What about that twenty foot tall polar bear? Oh, well, aren't all polar bears twenty foot tall? <laughs> I mean, that's they what they're not in the Coke commercials. <laughs> You're dealing with Thor giving the hammer to Snake Eyes and everything else. So, yeah, I'll I'll buy that there's a 20-foot polar bear out there. That's the least of my concerns. And what was also, the Also, listen, listen, when you look at the there's a panel where he's where Snake Eyes is facing down the polar bear. So, you yeah. can get a scale of it. Yeah. And the polar bear's face in that panel looks like a disappointed police chief. <laughs> And he's going up the he's going up the snake eyes. He's like, I'm gonna need your badge and gun. <laughs> really? <laughs> You're sitting this one out, snake eyes. Hot head. Coming down from the commissioner's office. <laughs> I know where Mary Rares was your partner, but this is just going on long enough. <laughs> God. I'm telling you, Rob Liefeld. Man, I, I've just come to accept it. He's just beyond our understanding and our kin. My score on Snake Eyes Dead Game, number four, is this book deserves the Eisner, <laughs> the Oscar, a Tony, a Grammy, an Emmy, and the Nobel Prize for something. I strongly suggest you buy 10 of each of these issues. I don't understand how, you know, like he could be in the industry this long and still not know how to draw a gun. <laughs> I don't give a shit about his damn guns. I just want him to acknowledge that we have shoulder joints. (laughs) I mean, he's trying. (laughs) How many many costumes is Snake Eyes wearing? (laughs) He keeps going through them, don't he? Well, I mean, one gets blasted off and he's simply wearing another costume under it. And then another costume gets blasted off this issue and he's just got a different color. He's not going to change. He's wearing the costumes underneath each other. And the thing is, is his visor, I would assume, is not cloth, but it keeps changing color with the costume changes. Well, I mean, he's in the Arctic. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna have layered clothing on. <laughs> Seriously, by 10 of this issue. <laughs> Albert, did you want to put a score to this or... <laughs> Why even waste my time with it? Look, I'm going to reiterate. There is a documentary out there, and it's called The Image Revolution. And you can see it on Tubi, the Tubi app for free. It's probably on Amazon for free, or if you subscribe to Amazon Prime, you need to watch it. I would prefer you watch Chris Claremont's X-Men documentary beforehand and then watch The Image Revolution because they're made by the same people, but you do need to watch it because Liefeld, they try their best to make Liefeld look good, and Liefeld just is not having any of it. No, there's only so much work they can do. (laughs) There's only so many edits you can make in a documentary. I highly recommend, and it's not just enough that you watch it, listeners. I know we request your emails at the end of every episode, and we get emails. We get a good amount of emails each week, and we appreciate that. But I want you, 
you, the person listening to this podcast now, to make it a point to watch the Image Revolution documentary and then email KingdomCasts at KingdomCASTS at gmail.com and let us know what you think about it. <laughs> well, I'll give Liefeld this. He does a wonderful Todd McFarlane impersonation. <laughs> <sighs> And now we move on to DC Comics. Future State, Superman and Metropolis, number two. This didn't do anything for me that the first book didn't do. I still think it's kind of bland and forgettable. We've got a real problem with Jonathan Kent's personality because, and I attribute a large part of this to Bendis for the fast aging situation with Jonathan Kent. At the end, he makes this grand declaration to the people of Metropolis that he's their Superman, that he's Superman of Metropolis. I can't help but feel like if you're Superman, you kind of got a bigger responsibility than just Metropolis. It's okay to have Metropolis be your favorite city, but making that sort of declaration is just asking for trouble there. This one has three stories, doesn't it? Mr. Miracle and The Guardian? Yeah, Mr. Miracle is a continuation of the... First Superman. No, the other part of that was in that Superman book where he's on Apocalypse. That's right. That's right. Okay. And then, so it's a continuation. Uh, the Guardian story is probably the is the best thing in the book. That was real good. Uh, the Mr. Miracle's fine. Like I like the first part. This one's fine. Yeah, the first one's really bland. It just ain't. There's just nothing there for it to do. Nothing really to hang your hat on. Yeah. Kind of fall short. The Mr. Miracle story I enjoyed. I like, but I still have a problem with the art on it. Other than Mr. Miracle really pops against the rest of the coloration in the story. He really stands out. The Guardian is the best of the three. I still don't think it's worth the money. I gave the writing a two. The art, I gave a four. And the dynamic, I gave a one. My score was 2.3. I gave the book straight threes. Future State. Next Batman, number three, by various writers and various artists. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I honestly thought they would have put a far better effort behind the concept of the next Batman than this. And they've actually done right the opposite. Albert, do you remember that scene where Batman is running running on foot down an alley with two people running behind him? Do you remember that one panel? Is it the people he was trying to rescue? Yeah. They're running behind him, and he's running on foot down that. It looks like it came directly out of Batman 66. Yeah, it looks... It looks... Awkward. I guess that's a good way to put it. I'm used to seeing Batman 66 run on foot, the Adam West yeah. Batman. And that's exactly what this looked like to me. They needed to find a better way to... Anyway, the art belongs in a Mary Worth comic strip. That's what it's reminding me of. The last two issues before this of Nick's Batman, I keep looking at that and I keep thinking, technically, I don't think there's anything wrong with the artwork, but it's not it's not working for me. Then in this, when they were doing side angles of heads and stuff, and it hit me, this is a Mary Worth comic strip art. This person could take over from Mary Worth, and for those of you who don't know, there was a newspaper comic strip that was a soap opera called Mary Worth, and it looks like the art in Next Batman. And do you think I'm too far off from that? You're familiar with Mary Worth, aren't you? Yeah. Am I too far off from that? No, not really. And the thing about that 
panel where they're running is, that panel's pointless. In comic books, as far as the way they do art and page layouts, you don't see those panels because they're not running from anybody. There's no reason to show that. In comic books, you just say, go with me. And they're like, okay. And then you usually just see their skip to where like maybe they're in a car if it's a or plane, if it's a long enough trip. But if not, you just skip to them going from location A to B. So Yeah, it's a segue. You don't show the in the yeah. inane movements, the pointless movements. But you're absolutely right, Albert. They segue from those scenes like that. It's okay to have them standing around talking, but Batman just kind of casually walking away from something. It's never shown. Yeah. There's no surprise in the story at all. This is a turnoff from Batman. I really think they needed to start next Batman out in a much more dynamic mode than this. Two backup stories. I didn't like the two backup stories any more than I liked them in the last two issues. They're kind of stale and bad in completely unoriginal ways. And dear God, if I hear the magistrate, if I have to read the magistrate's name again, and I know I'm going to have to, if you don't think the magistrate is the most awesome bad guy ever, you're a hate-filled incel if you say otherwise. They burned me out on the magistrate, and we haven't even seen him yet. Well, there's like there's nothing else in Gotham to do. They like all no, just one else is, no one else is hanging around. It's just everybody on the run from the magistrate, and that's sort of it in all the book. If this turns out to be Bane, I think we need to riot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think revealing that the magistrate is actually Bane, I think that's cause for us to really get up in arms about something. <laughs> Albert, who is it? I don't, I don't it know. Going? They're not they're not saying it? they don't t- hint at it or anything. Who is it going to be that is going to piss you off the least? <laughs> the least? I don't uh Alfred, I don't know. You keep saying Alfred. Alfred. I don't even remotely see how Alfred is the magistrate. What well, no, I said Bane originally. Well, yeah, you've said Bang, you've said Alfred. Yeah, I said Emperor Palpatine because anything short of the Emperor, I'm just out. <laughs> I mean, does it matter? No, it doesn't. And I wish they'd shut up about him and go on with life. I gave the writing on the next Batman number three a two. I gave the art a two. I gave the dynamic a one. My score was 1.7. Gosh. I'm tired of, excuse the pun, banality. <laughs> Well, I gave the uh, writing a three and the art and dynamic two. Okay, so you gave it a 3.2. Future State Harley Quinn, number two, writer Stephanie Phillips, artist Simone DeMio. I've read better Harley stories, and I've also read worse Harley stories. And that's all this is, a Harley story with an advertisement for The Magistrate. Trademark and copyright 2021 DC Comics. I think this has more of a black mask get up than anything. No, it did. I mean, the black mask was there, but he's not, he didn't act like the black mask to me. It's not normal so, continuity, so it doesn't matter who, how he acts. I don't know. I'm just having a problem with some of these character dynamics. The art is dynamic and fun to look at. Well, it's by the same person that did find them when they're dead. Is that the proper title? Yeah, of that we book? only find them when they're dead. Yeah. The difference being is on that one, after issue one, they kept cutting corners on background stuff where they would try to make it not so noticeable that like every panel was just a head and that was it. Uh, this one that's more filled out though, like everything, there's backgrounds and it's all colored up differently. But you can tell it's the same artist. Yeah, easily Demio. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a Harley Quinn story. Neither you nor I are particularly Harley Quinn fans. I miss better than most of the stuff they put out with her name on it. I've read better and I've read worse. I'm going to go with that. You're right. It's better than most of the stuff they slap Harley Quinn's name on now. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a three. I gave the dynamic a one. My score on Future State Harley Quinn number two was 2.3. I gave the writing a three and the art dynamic a four. 
Man Bat number one, writer Dave Walgoz and artist Sumit Kumar. Before we do the review, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that this is the 50th anniversary of Man Bat. Oh, Kingdom God. Casts would like to wish a happy 50th anniversary it to is Man not Bat. The 50th anniversary of Man Bat. It is the 50th anniversary of Man Bat. He was created in 1971. Man Bat's been around a long time. Yes, Batman number 400, 1971. <laughs> happy 50th anniversary, Man Bat. Great fun. This book felt like it came straight out of the Neil Adams era in the 70s. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would assume that's probably what they were. The tone of it, not necessarily the art, was what they were probably going for for that. You made a good call there. It is the tone. The art's very good. I'm not saying the art looks like Neil Adams, but the tone and the coloration and the art fits it. Yeah, when I was reading, I noticed the coloring is very, very well done. Yeah, it feels like a comic book. If you could have made a facsimile of this comic book and made it look like it came out of the 70s, there would have been very few people that would have been able to say, no, it didn't. And it's a solid story. It's a great opening. It's wonderful to see a character that has been around for 50 years get his due and top-notch treatment in his own title. I think this is well worth your money. This feels like a Batman book, does it not? Feels like a 1970s Batman book. Yeah, I mean, it feel, I mean, yeah, because it's got sort of the the horror aspect to it to some small extent. This, well, yeah, and it showcases. What are y'all reading? This was crap. Whatever. God. Oh, did you read it? Yes, I read it. <laughs> I, I was no, like, I'm, oh, let me just pluck my eyeballs out here. <laughs> what are you talking about, woman? This was, was not, this was a solid book. Not really. It showcased the best of Batman. It showcased what the, the heck best. Do you best mean of, this was a Batman book? I felt like I was reading a Morbius ripoff, although Morbius is probably ripping him off. Well, I got to tell you, I, I like this way more than I like any of the Morbius stuff I've ever read. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I maybe because I'm more familiar with the Man Bat stories. For some reason, I'm not a Man Bat fan, but I've read a lot of Man Bat stories, apparently, and this is a solid Man Bat story. I like the dichotomy. I like him arguing back and forth. He's not completely schizophrenic, and he more acknowledges that he's arguing with himself. He's just made a decision here. And I thought this was a wonderful start to this book. I really, I'm not joking when I say I enjoyed this book. This year is Man Bat's 51st anniversary. Thank you. I thought he was created in 1971. No, it says Detective 400 is June 1970. Morbius was created in in 71. Yeah. In 71. Okay. Well, happy 51st anniversary to Man Bat. (laughs) God. And happy 50th to Morbius. And happy 50th anniversary to Morbius. I look forward to the variant covers. (laughs) Morbius even has a movie coming out, Sandra. I know it. Y'all <laughs> are just so mean. I can't wait for Jared Leto to play Namor. <laughs> yeah, I think that one would knock me out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> well, on Man Bat number one, Sandra, what did you not like about it? It, it was boring. Was it? I didn't think it was boring. I don't know. I didn't think it was a Batman book, unless a Batman book involves him lecturing somebody. The best Batman books do involve Batman lecturing people. (laughs) That's not entirely true. I won't say it was, I shouldn't say it was boring. It was pretty much by the numbers for me. I kept thinking, 
is this Kurt Connors? Is this Morbius? Is this maybe I'm just too much into no, the, a lot, the a lot of Morbius thing. stories over the years have turned into like him just going, well, I'm back on the gasp. This time I got it underneath under control. Yeah, yeah I, I've never found Morbius this interesting. <laughs> I did not find Man Bat that interesting, but that's me. Well, what's not to find interesting? He's a man who turns into a bat. I guess man that's bat. why I, I did. Another nice thing about Man Bat is that most of the Man Bat stories take place in and around Gotham. And so it's always nice to see a bunch of bad guys hurrying because they're scared Batman's going to show up any minute. And then Man Bat shows up instead, grabs one of them, and drops them from the top of a building. I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I had a bad memory or maybe uh, some kind of break. I used to, I for some reason, I was thinking Man Bat was more of a horror character. He is a horror this. character. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was not really yeah. any horror thing here to me. Well, it's the, it's the body dysmorphia. First off, you've got that. He's a drug addict. There's a clear correlation with him and drug addiction. He's a horrific character. I mean, my God, why do you, how would you react if you saw a damn eight-foot bat that anthropomorphized swoop down on you. That's, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty freaking scary. He came off more superhero than horror to me. I don't know. I'm still okay with that, but he has been both. He's always walked that fine line. Depends on who's writing him at the moment, but I enjoyed this. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a five because of the feel to the book. My score for Man Bat number one was 4.7. I gave the writing and dynamic a three and the art a four. Really? I, you, you went three with the writing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a man bat story. It's only going to be so good. Well, I just didn't expect to have been that entertained by it. I really didn't. I'm being honest there. Sandra? Two, two, two. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I mean, really, Sandra? No, you, wait. No, I, no. Since it's his 51st anniversary, I'm going to give him one, one, one. <laughs> I don't find I mean, anything really, about really, this funny. Seriously, though, if you were a criminal and you were committing a crime, <laughs> would you be more scared of an eight to ten foot tall man slash bat swooping down on you or some naked guy with a trident ordering tuna to attack you from the pier? <laughs> Listen, I watch the news and I'd be more scared of the cops than anything. <laughs> we're all scared of the cops, <laughs> Albert. <laughs> with a trident or in a bat suit. <laughs> <laughs> All those ears, those are bad ears. <laughs> and your terrible wings. <laughs> you know, and now I'm going to go out and find a way to create a man bat <laughs> and wait for Sandra to leave the library one evening. <laughs> See, it's much scarier, isn't it, Sandra? <laughs> No, no paramedics. You just let her suffer through that massive coronary. She has a lesson to learn. <laughs> Future State, Wonder Woman number two by Joelle Jones. Easily, without question, the best thing to come out of Future State and probably close to my favorite Wonder Woman story ever. DC needs to lock down Joelle Jones over this Wonder Woman and somehow make this a regular book. They I are think this is a regular book. Oh, they are. The, we knew beforehand. I think they they officially, officially announced it. And uh, it is Joelle Jones. They're going yeah. to leave her alone. They're going to let Joelle Jones do this, right? It'll be a Wonder Girl comic. 
But it is Excellent. it is Joel Jones and it is Yara Floor. That's wonderful. I love Yara Floor. I love Joel Jones. This is the third best thing to come out of DC superhero comics since New 52 started. I think the other two are Doomsday Clock and the Three Jokers. I love the new Wonder Woman. Love Joel Jones' storytelling style and art by this book. Issue number one, issue number two, they're going to jump in price with her ongoing series coming out because I don't think this character is going anywhere but up. What about I you, agree. Alex? This is a fantastic book. It reminds me a lot of Brian Azzarello's run a good bit, and I love Brian Azzarello's run. I'm just excited about this. This book yeah. makes... I was kind of trepidatious because I thought, look, you really, really liked issue number one. Is issue number two going to be able to continue? Yeah, it has. So that tells me you've got magic. You've got lightning in a bottle with Joel Jones and this character. Yara. DC is smart to lock them down. Just let her do what she wants with this character. I'm all about it. My score on Future State, Wonder Woman number two is five. Yeah, mine's straight fives as well. I was asked by somebody, why do I need a watch when I have my iPhone? It's a good question. So while you and all the other first graders out there fumble around trying to get your iPhone out of your pockets and then turn off the 32 update reminders, the 20 missed call notifications, and the 78 text messages about available women near you, me and the other adults will simply glance at our wristwatches from IVI watches and know the time within a second and be reminded that we are a person with style and taste because of the watch we chose. Besides, it's hardly a status symbol when you own an iPhone. I mean, every 12-year-old has one. The refined wristwatches available from IVIwatches.com let people know that they are dealing with a quality adult who knows who they are and what they're doing. But why not get a Rolex? I hear someone in the audience who has never seen an actual Rolex in their life ask. The answer is because you are not a 1980s stockbroker who has no idea about value for money. Watches like Rolexes are ridiculously overpriced, and all they say about you is that you are a pretentious ass whose favorite movie is still Wall Street with Charlie Sheen because you never really understood the actual message of that movie. And the only line you can quote from it is greed is good, which is not even an actual line in the film. With IVIwatches.com, you get the value you pay for. The style and discernment comes at no extra charge. Be an adult. Check out IVIwatches.com today and enter the code KINGDOM to get 25% off. Marvel Comics. Avengers number 42 by Jason Aaron and art by Mariska. Straight ones. Straight ones. We can go to the next book. (laughs) This book was painful. Yeah, Albert's not wrong. (laughs) And I say that not just from a namer point of view. I think it was just, it was painful all around. It really was, Sandra. Marvel's making the same mistake on Avengers that DC did with Justice League, written by Scott Snyder. They have a writer doing whatever he wants with no restraints, and that's hurting the Avengers brand horribly. Namor's a killer. Wolverine is a persecuted victim who lashes out. She-Hulk is either smart or strong, but she can't be both because she's a woman. Well, and she's now, apparently also racist in this. How? What, what did you catch? Why in the world would she call Namor a slimy fish kisser? Well, okay, that in the Marvel Universe, I mean, that could be a form of racism. I it is racism. It. Oh, come on. Sandra's not wrong there. In the Marvel, in the context of the Marvel Universe, why didn't she call Wolverine a mutie? Listen, I mean, is she going to call Ghost Rider an offensive name for for something that he eats? 
Cyclops called a bunch of Middle Easterns one time. Well, that's racist. You can have edge that out, too. And what the heck? In what universe was Shanna the She-Devil think she is going to take out Namor? I like that the saber-toothed tiger gets Phoenix powers, too. That was so stupid. <laughs> that was so I mean, stupid. this I is, can't even tell what the well heck make, is going on with... Make the with, tiger green at that point. What the heck <laughs> is going on with American Eagle? I just, you got a belt buckle out of it. We ain't all fish, lady. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it just makes no sense. I mean, none of this makes any sense. Why is Captain America, quote unquote, training Shang-Chi? I told you about the Captain America thing. You were like, but didn't you think he handled Captain America? No, no. He's handling this as a stereotype. He's treating them all as stereotypes. They need to stop Jason Aaron cold on this book and start retconning it ASAP. Seriously, you want to have Ghost Rider have some power over the Phoenix and sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, get her down here so I can get her to do the pennant stare on her. And I'm like... (laughs) It needs to be over, and it's not going to be because we know Heroes Reborn is coming. The part that really hurts about this is we know Jason Aaron understands who these characters are, at least some of them in the past. He's just miswriting them and messing with them because he can, because he's got the power. He doesn't like editorial controlling him, and so they have very limited editorial controls on Jason Aaron. This needs to stop. Editorial needs to stop in and say, Jason, let's find you a book that is going to be more your speed. Let's find you a book that you can excel on rather than run characters on because i still think jason aaron's a good writer a very good writer good writer i just don't know why he hates the avengers this is more about jason aaron than it is the avengers that should never be just like i said with scott snyder on the justice league this isn't about scott snyder it's about these characters and scott snyder doesn't recognize that jason aaron seems to have lost track about that with the avengers and that needs to stop i gave the writing a one the art a three the dynamic a one my score on avengers 42 was 1.7 they need to bring back those bomber jackets they had in the 90s that fits his whole book <laughs> you know i'm going to say this i actually thought that was kind of cool that both the x men and avengers had team jackets i thought it was cool too like you know you gotta get something for saving the world yeah a members only jacket ain't half bad no so, that's exactly and those are what those were were you know avengers and x-men avenger uh, members only jackets y'all aren't gonna say anything about the big retcon at the end i mean does that just fall under it will, it we will get to yet. that next episode okay. yeah that's it. next that's, issue my they bad. Didn't, technically they haven't retconned anything yet and i'm still hoping that somebody will wake up in marvel editorial and say wait what the hell is this no no no, no, no. Mother, Thor's mother is Frigga. We have a day of the week named after Thor's mother. It's called Friday. Well, you know, going back to what Sandra said about Namor, the X-Men books always had a bunch of oddball racism in it. Yeah. Well, the X-Men Sometimes were... Sometimes the X-Men There's were that Cyclops thing, which was from the Neil Adams issues he did. There was a, a bit where they call Sabretooth a derogatory term for a Jewish person. I remember Wait, reading Sabretooth it. is Jewish? I swear there's no. an issue where they call they had, it. They had to trash... Yeah, they had to reprint or trash something or the other because of that. Yeah. How in the hell is Sabretooth Jewish? I don't not know, Jewish. but, that, but, but they straight up, they, they call him that word. Yeah. If you go back and read, even Claremont, if you go back and read, but that's not really Claremont's fault, I guess, because back in the 70s, those terms were commonly used. I will never forget when I was reading it, I was going, did he just call him a, did Wolverine just call Sunfire a Jap? 
That was the way it oh, was God, in yeah. the seventies. Yeah, and they called him a Canuck, and they yeah, and back and forth. Well, I wouldn't say Canuck is any close to uh, the other that race. Yeah, yes, Dan. Oh, it's like if well, someone called term for a Canadian. It's like if someone <laughs> no, called it's not a slang term for a Canadian. What is a slang term for Canadian? Because I've been looking for something to call Canadian American. <laughs> oh, God, that's horrible. That is really horrible. <laughs> All right. What was your score, wait, Sandra? Wait, wait. I just want to say for the 12 Namer fans, pay no attention to the Namer stuff because none of that is Namor. From the very beginning, I, like I said, when I read the preview for this, I said, well, okay. So none of the editors and Jason Aaron have any clue as to what Namer's origin is because- no. Namor's mother would never threaten to send him to go live up in the surface world with his dad because in Namor's origin, Namor's dad dies before his mom even knows she's pregnant. On the characters he doesn't know real well, like Namor, he's not bothering to do the research. And that was evident as well. Uh, But the crap that he has Wolverine saying, that just hurts because he knows who Wolverine is. He knows how to write Wolverine. Wolverine would never say something like that that puts him into the perception of being a victim. Like, you people... She-Hulk. We could do an entire program on where he's gone wrong with She-Hulk. Namor doesn't really abuse animals, and Namor, none of that is, that's just, I don't know what is going on there, because none of that was, to me, Namor. I felt like there was something weird going on with this fight with Echo. Yeah, I didn't like that they had Echo going up against Namor. That's, that, that paints Namor in an even worse light. For people that don't know him. Yeah. The other thing is like that fight would have been over in about two nanoseconds. All this pages of this stuff is just ridiculous. They should have had um, to go against Night Thrasher. No. Jeez. They had multiple pages because we had the, he wanted to tell the story about how Namor drowns kittens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the next scene we had where She-Hulk is asking Namor, well, what did he do to Echo? Because we heard her screaming and Namor just kind of walks away. There's something weird going on here. And it's I think it's... It's the implication. No, but the conjecture is that Echo is the one that's going to end up with the Phoenix. So None of them are going to end up with the Phoenix. Well, probably not because this is like a stupid storyline. None if of it, them are because Phoenix destroys everything. I'm sure Jane Foster will get to somehow. <laughs> We could have woke Phoenix comics for five years. All right. But Sandra, this, what was this your is supposed to be going on before the Null stuff, right? The King and Black stuff. Yeah. Then I am going to say that, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to get the Phoenix uh, unless they get the Phoenix and immediately leave Earth. My score for this is like, if I could give it less than ones, I would. And Albert, you're standing by your straight ones? Why would I change that? I'm just asking. That's all. All right. Nine was 1.7. Please stop reading the Avengers. Send a message to them. This has got to stop. If you don't know who Namor is, I promise you, Marvel Comics has like 25 boxes of material on who Namor is. Same thing with She-Hulk. Same thing with these other characters. Hellions, number nine, by writer Zeb Wells and art by Steven Segovia. I thought it was still a solid book. It actually makes me want to know more about Nanny and Peter. And Nanny and Peter are two characters I could, I, if we had never seen them again, I would have been okay. But now I want to know more about what's going on with them. The humor is well-timed, well-placed, and Zeb Wells goes out of his way to remind you how much of a threat Mastermind actually is. I was not big on the reveal on the last page of the book, and we're not going to spoil it. 
while I wasn't excited about it, I also wasn't surprised at it because in the back of my mind, at some point, these characters would have had to show up in this, in one of the X books. Yeah, I liked it. It's not just Nanny and Pete, I guess you could say. Yeah. It's also a Wild Child 2's. Oh, yeah. Because those characters, I think they, uh, where did they die? They died weird and they brought them back, didn't they, during Swords of X? Yeah, they died. They did not die in Saturnine's realm. No, they died in another place. Yeah, but it still affected the way they came back. They came back differently. But I, I really enjoyed this issue. Yeah, the stuff of Mastermind was really, really good, too. Yeah. You you forget how much of a threat he And this is, and don't mistake me, I'm not saying, oh, he's one of my favorite characters. I'm saying that when Claremont and Byrne chose Mastermind as the pivot point for the Dark Phoenix saga, they chose well. Because you've got this sleazy, slimy little individual that nobody likes to get near anything, and he's got this power that can just mess your world up. Zeb Wells uses him to great effect in this story. I gave Hellions number nine, I gave it fours across the board. I think Steven Segovia's art gets better with each issue. I'm okay with the art. I gave the art a three. I gave the writing and dynamic a four. Didn't you love the way that Sage called in the Hellions and said that one of your own is missing and was acting very concerned about it and like she was breaking horrible news to him when she broke the news? It was Mr. Sinister. They all and, broke up laughing. And they all laughed about it. And also the notes she wrote. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, no. They insisted that they be responsible for that. They were, they were emotionally distraught over Mr. Sinister missing. <laughs> Yeah, not just because he was a council member, but because he was a dear friend of theirs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty solid. Pick up Hellions. It's been a really good read. King in Black, Black Knight. Written by Simon Spurrier, art by Jesus Saez. I'm not a big Black Knight guy, and I I still found it interesting. I liked the character enough. I think this is a little bit different of a take on Black Knight than we've seen in the past, isn't it? No, I would say he's been like this for a while. Okay. Maybe since... Avengers jacket-wearing era, isn't it? I will say they 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 treated him like a goofy idiot during Original Sin 2 or somewhere around in there. Well, he's not goofy. He's kind of Ted Cord Blue Beetle-esque. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He's not being treated with disrespect. He's just got more of a liaison-faire attitude than most of the Avengers do toward what's going on with him. I was fine with this. They put it over China, so Arrow and one of the other heroes from... Is, it, is, that, is his name not just Swordmaster? Swordmaster. Swordmaster, yeah. Arrow and Swordmaster can show up. Pairing them with Dane Whitman with the Black Knight actually benefits them. They're not having to carry the book. They're not being focused directly on, but their reaction and interaction with him made me like those two characters a little bit more. I think all three characters played off each other real good. I just overall thought it was a real good comic. It's a very solid comic. And again, you know, it's King and Black and King and Black's been knocking it out of the park. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious and a lot of fun. This is what Cy Spurrier is known for, or what I remember him for, is he writes very witty, very funny stuff, but there's a core of emotion to almost everything he writes. It has that humor, but then you have that emotional thread where Dane Whitman is realizing he's not what he thought he was. They balance the humor and the serious angle real well. It 
gives depth to him as a character and the interaction with the other two characters. And I'm going to I'm going to come out and say it. The other two characters are there to help with the Chinese market, the yeah. Asian market. And I haven't seen anything up till now that made me any more interested in these characters. But now, if you give them a few more scenes like this, if you give them a couple more opportunities in books like this, and don't just shove a book named Arrow right out in front of us saying, you've got to like this, then these characters can develop over time. Not everybody's going to be an instant hit constantly. Marvel of all companies should know that by now. I think that they do need to do things like this to make them more endearing to us. In a few years, you'll have substantial caricature. But yeah, I'm with you. Simon Sperrier does a great job of walking that fine line. He makes them feel human. I can't recommend this book highly enough. This was probably my favorite book of the week. Jesus Sayas, my gosh, he's, his work is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. There's uh, several pages in this book that are just fantastic. I'm sitting here thinking, please, Marvel, hang on to him. The look on Dane's face when Swordmaster Sword flings into his hand. Yeah. <laughs> the look on all of their faces is like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really it, was a good book. Yeah, solid book. It's a good read. It's part of the King in Black series. It's, I don't know how you could go wrong with it. Well, yeah, I and gave, you know what? I don't, you don't have to be following the King in Black event no. to, to read this. I mean, that's just the MacGuffin slash foe that they're going to face. And, and maybe that will tie into something later because apparently there might be a connection between the Ebony well, Blade yeah. and Nulb. I haven't really been following that event that closely you can enjoy this without that at all. Clearly, there's going to be something because Arrow keeps saying Mr. Stark is calling us all to New York. Noel has that interaction with Dane Whitman about the Dark Blade. So, well, yeah, this, there's, this is a one shot. Yeah, it's a one yeah. shot. But he gets a new issue one next, I guess, next month. He's getting oh, a mi- another miniseries yeah. by Cy Spurrier. We don't get Jesus Saez, unfortunately, but Sergio Davila, I'm not for sure. I'm telling you, anything that Cy Spurrier writes, you, you really need to read. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he's going to use Dr. Nemesis in that book. So <laughs> that's going to be oh, even more yeah. fun. That'll be um, entertaining. I gave it fours across the board. I gave it fives across the board. I as well gave it fives across the board. Yeah, you're not going to go wrong with this one shot and King and Black, Black Knight. To finish up our comics this week, Venom number 33, writer Donny Cates, artist Eben Coelho. Great dialogue, great character moment between Flash and Eddie Brock. Yeah. This was a solid advancement of the main King and Black storyline. If you're reading Venom, you're reading King and Black. Don't pretend like you're not. And you should be. Cates is making a true event series feel like a complete event from the ground up. And I've got to say this, guys. Never in my life would I think that I would actually recommend a Venom book a thousand times over the main Avengers title. That is so surreal to me that, you know, I would say, don't waste your money on the Avengers, buy Venom instead. But damn it, Donny Cates just has game. Yeah, I think the highlight of this issue is the interactions between Eddie and uh, Jameson. Jameson, Flash, Flash Thompson. Yeah, not why do I think? Because it's easy. Like, Moonwolf. Must have been thinking about Man Wolf or something. Moon Wolf is not Man in Wolf. this comic book. Man it's Wolf, Flash yeah. Thompson. Yeah. 
The stuff between Andy and Flash is the best things in the issue. It's a really, really good issue. Very character-oriented. It hits to the heart and core of both of their characters. The stuff Flash Thompson says about, you may think you can't stand alongside Spidey and Captain America, and that's okay, but you're here doing what you can right now to save the world and your son from hell. That was a wonderful hero speech, and it comes from a great background character to have delivered it in Flash Thompson. I can't say enough good things about Donny Cates so far as his comic book writing is concerned. It was a great issue all around. I gave it like straight fours. I gave the writing a five simply because of the dialogue between Eddie and Flash. I gave the art a four and the dynamic four. My score was 4.3. Pick up Venom. I'll go ahead and say this. We didn't review it in with the other comic books, but Albert, you read High Republic from issue number two from Marvel, right? Yeah. Did you read the uh, IDW High Republic Adventures? No. Okay. I I read both. I'm liking these. I would prefer the ship design. Something's not right with the ship design in Marvel Comics High Republic for my tastes. It's not, I'm not seeing anything that... God, this is awful. I mean, this is how ingratiated into Star Wars I am. But when I'm watching The Mandalorian or when I'm watching Rise of Skywalker or any of the movies and I see a new ship, I automatically think, do I want that when the Lego set comes out? So in the two issues of High Republic so far, I've not seen anything that I've necessarily want as a Lego set. Yeah, I know that sounds stupid. That's my main qualm with the first two issues of High Republic from Marvel Comics. The IDW, Star Wars Adventures, my God, the art. It feels like Mobius is doing a Star Wars comic. I don't know why he's doing that when he should be doing the main Star, whatever, you know, the Marvel Star Wars stuff. Because the Marvel artists now, you know, Marvel used to have the top line talent on their Star Wars books, and they don't right now. Harvey Tobliano is he's fantastic. Yeah, he is. He is. It's like Mobius on Star Wars. Now, look, so far as writing, Marvel's got the talent so far as writing. And so far as Darth Vader's concerned, they've got the talent on writing and art. I think the main Star Wars book could use another artist. And I think they need to completely reconsider what's going on in Dr. Afra at the moment. You said Tobiano, but it's Tolabao. 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 Okay. Uh, the last part of his name, I looked it up earlier. Last part of his name is pronounced Bao, like the food. Tolabao. And that's Star Wars Adventures from IDW. Sandra, did you take a look at the IDW book? No, but I, I'm I, looking at I, it right now. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And why that's not why that's not the main book, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. I, the only thing I can think of is I don't recall him ever doing a series. I always see him in like one shots. And I'm thinking maybe it just takes him a long time to do the work. It could very well. I mean, this is detailed work. I've got a little bit of a problem with his, when I first saw his version of Yoda show up, I had a little bit of a problem with it, but as it went on, I did not have a problem with his Yoda at all. Yeah, I've also kept in mind that this is a Yoda that's younger than we see in Phantom Menace. Yeah, his artwork is just spectacular. It really does. Albert, look at those designs. The two, I don't know, the two adversaries that are on the stairs. That looks like something Mobius did. Oh, that one page. Yeah, that, yeah, I know what page you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, it's a very good page. I would love to have him. Hell, I would love to have him on the regular Star Wars book, but definitely would love to have him on High Republic. And I don't mean to knock, I'm not knocking the current artist on High Republic, on the Marvel High Republic. Andrea and in, in Dito or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and Dito is... He's and been Dito's a fill-in artist. Like- 
really. So I'm not sure. I mean, that's a prime gig there. I'm not sure what happened there. I have to get through the novel. I haven't started the novel to really get a sense and a better feel for the High Republic. I'm liking what I see in the two comic books, but I I need it to be filled out a little more. And we're only a month into the High Republic stuff. The Adventures book just, especially when it comes to artwork, is just eye-catching. But I also understand what you say, Albert, that the more Jedis you add into something, the less you're interested. Yeah. I prefer the more rough-and-tumble Star Wars stuff than a bunch of Jedis running around. Or I prefer single Jedi in deep, unknown space dealing with the situation. They've had a few books like that. The more rogue Jedi. I can't recall the name of Count Dooku's first Padawan, but he was written like that in a few of the books. And I, I very much enjoy that. The problem with having that many Jedi is you've got to have a real damn challenge and you're not using the Sith in High Republic at all. No. And so you need something that requires these Jedi who is at the height of their civilization and power, something to actually threaten them. That's a difficult thing to come up with. I mean, we're we're chomping around the borders here, but we're not to it. How are you enjoying it so far? You're not a, what would you say, rabid Star Wars fan like I am? No, so far I haven't cared too much. I like the, uh, the lizard guy. What was his name? Is he one of Bosk's race? Yeah. Uh, Skier, Masters. Yeah, yeah. I, I like him, but the, I, I don't really care for anybody else. The point of view character is Skier's former Padawan, who has just become a Jedi Knight. Yeah. And I think it's her point of view that endears him to you. We know Yoda, but we don't know much about the rest of them. We need character moments coming up in this series, and that's why I'm looking forward to the novels, to go deeper into the character points. But they've got this laid out for at least five years, if not longer, just working on this one section of Star Wars history, the High Republic. I haven't seen any droids yet that I'm I'm interested in either. Very important. You need to really hook me with the possibilities for a Lego build. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got the... <laughs> shut up, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the, you know, the Disney ride, the Rise of Resistance. Are y'all familiar with it? The ride at the Walt Disney World Resort, Rise of the Resistance? No. Well, okay. No, no, I'm thinking of something else, not the ride. I was thinking well, of one of the other things I did there. They've got a Carillion transport ship. And basically, on the ride, you board the transport ship. You stand in line inside the hidden rebel tunnels, and you come out to an open area, area where there is a large transport ship. And you walk on board to the transport ship, and you're standing up, and you're holding, like a subway, you're holding little things, and you've got a pilot there and you've got, uh, I forget his name, he's one of Akbar's people in the ship with you. And then you take off and you have your adventure in the ship. Well, they made a Lego model of the ship and I've got it sitting in front of me right now. Also, in Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World, they have droids that drive Coca-Cola and Sprite carts around, except they don't say Coca-Cola on them. You can tell it's a Coca-Cola cart, but Coca-Cola has been translated into the Star Wars font, into the Star Wars alphabet, the language. I've taken it upon myself. In addition to the transport ship from Disney World, I've made the little Coca-Cola droid dispenser that drives around. See, I'm making an entire section here dedicated to the Disney World section at Galaxy's Edge. Well, that's nice. <laughs> 
Well, there's there's no instructions to make the Coca-Cola carts. I've done that on my own. What are you doing in your spare time, Albert? Watching Vibrarium. Staring into the abyss, I guess. Well, if you get into Legos, you don't have to stare into the <laughs> Listen, I, I don't make enough money to get into Legos. I was about to say those Legos. <laughs> They're well worth it, though. <laughs> God. I've got scene after scene made up. Yeah, I'm, I made my, I'm very proud of my little Coca-Cola cart, and I've got the pieces set aside to make the little Sprite cart, too. I've got little Legos that look like me, Denise, and Brooke. And, and <laughs> so you really? I can, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I did. It took some time, but I put them together. I've got one that looks like mom and dad, too. Right now, Denise built Cinderella's castle from Lego. And so right now, they're all standing on the steps of Cinderella Castle with Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Yeah, once I finish the little cart rides and all that, I can just, since I haven't been able to, due to COVID, go down to Disney World and ride Rise of the Resistance and just, you know... Have our little Lego selves experience it. It's almost like being there. Do you have the original Lando minifig? No, I got the one that came with the the anniversary one that came with the snow speeder. The original is the important one. That's the one you got to get. Oh, the original. I ain't paying $300 for a damn minifigure. I put together a minifigure that looked just like him before I got the Snowspeeder 25th anniversary set. I've had the makeshift one standing on the uh, modified carbon freeze platform that I created. I've got Lobot. <laughs> well, Lando was the first non-yellow minifigure, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's right. so expensive. They went to flesh tones gradually. It was kind of Star Wars that brought them into the flesh tone. I think Lando was a large step in getting there. Your typical characters for Lego, your standard Lego people are still yellow. Yeah. You can get them with flesh tones and stuff like that. You should you should also go to the Lego Ideas site. You're allowed to vote on different ideas and concepts that are put forward. And some things they make, like they made the Friends, the sitcom Lego set that was first proposed at Lego Ideas. And I think the Beatles' Yellow Submarine was as well. And so, you know, if Lego gets enough vote and they pass the Lego Council, then Lego will make a set of them if they can make it cost effective. Well, I need to go to bed because it's twelve thirty. I'm trying to, uh, yeah, I'm trying to be entertaining here. I'm trying to uh, have us go out on a high note. <laughs> well, here's a high note. Fantastic Four is going to get the uh, life story treatment. Yeah, I saw by, that by the guy that wrote Second Coming. Aren't you a fan of that guy, Mark Richards? Mark, Mark Russell. Russell. Oh, Mark Russell. Mark yeah, Russell. I, yeah. I I can't decide if I'm a fan. He. He nailed it on the first few issues of Second Coming, but he lost it in the landing. I enjoyed him on the uh, Imperious Lex issue from DC oh, Comics. Okay, I may be a fan of him. I I'm not. He's got a long way to go before he gets mentioned in the same breath as Claremont. But well, <laughs> well I mean, that's sort of a, that's sort well, of a let's stretch. Just start with the highest level possible. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me talking about every character there is. Well, he's not up to namer level yet, but <laughs> I like this artist, but he's no Jack Kirby. Not Jack Kirby, yeah. that's right. Show him the door. Show him the door. <laughs> God Almighty! <laughs> Damn. Well, guys, gotta have standards. <laughs> 
That's Kingdom Cast's podcast this week. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you all for supporting us. We ask for your continued support. We ask that you do share us with your friends. Get us up out. Uh, get us out there. Get us even more noticed because it's never enough, people. It never is. Send us your letters, your emails, your questions, your one division theories, and we'll get to those on our pull list and one division update that'll post sometime between Monday and Tuesday. Kingdom Casts. That's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com, KingdomComics at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram has both Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics. We cannot thank you enough. Again, thank you to our sponsor, IVIWatches.com. IVIWatches.com. Enter the special code KINGDOM. Get 20% off of your overall purchase. Thank you again to our contributors, and most especially, thank you to you, our listeners. You make it all worthwhile. We appreciate you greatly. So we're going to close it out tonight. Sandra, you got anything to say? You got any final words there? I wish Jesus Sayez would do a namer book. You know, if Lego made Namor sets, you'd be all about Lego. Well, I'd have to buy that set for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Albert, you got anything to say? I guess not. Thank you again to our listeners. Tell them good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. We'll be back with you Monday or Tuesday. Stay safe. is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thank you to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Cornelius Burroughs, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Hatcher, Charles Hickey, Ali Marceau, Joseph Koloski, Katrina Olstead, and Angela Pickett. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2021. All rights reserved. Somebody needs to give her an animated project to work on with her style art. Not just saying that because of the uh, the naked cartoon pig book she did.